we talk about the door of opportunity. Uh, I used to be in business a long time ago, back when the Stone Age was still going on. And we always said, you never wait for an opportunity. You know what I mean? You know how you get an opportunity? You walk up to the door, you tap twice, and then you kick in the door. That's how it works in business. You create an opportunity. You make things happen. Well, you know what? It's not that way in the Christian life. In the Christian life, you need a door of opportunities. That's what I want to talk about today. The opportunity might be to pray for somebody. The opportunity might be to sing or play and bless the church with the gifts that God's given you. The door of opportunity may be this. You want to go to the Philippines, but you don't have the money, but the church sends you to represent Jesus Christ. That's a door of opportunity provided by your prayers and your willingness to take advantage of it. If God is calling you to go to the Philippines, you will go. And God will make a way for you. Amen? There's a door of opportunity for service for every believer. How do I know that? Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. This is the, this is the church you've been waiting for. This is the church everybody wants to belong to. This is the church everybody reads about, mainly because it's a major U.S. city. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. The door's open. We talk about the door of opportunity. The door for you is open. This is what it says in verse 7. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Not our Philadelphia, their Philadelphia. The Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and closes and no one opens, it says. I know your works, because you have limited strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Look, I have placed before you, church, an open door that no one is able to close. And the church should say something right here at this point. Amen. God has given us an open door to reach the world for Jesus Christ. This church is beloved because the church of Philadelphia is only the second church about which nothing bad is said. I've only seen one church so far that way where everything was positive. This is the second church. Look at this. Write to the angel or the pastor, the messenger of the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was a very important city. It was a fortress city. High walls, strong gates, strong army. It was a prosperous city. It was a great city. Now, the city of Philadelphia was founded by King Attalus II. You don't need to know that, but it's a very cool historic fact. King Attalus II, nobody actually called him Attalus or King Attalus. You know what they called him? Philadelphus. Don't ever, ever name your child Philadelphus. It's just more cruel than any kid should have to endure. It was the king's nickname. It means the one who loves his brother. The one who loves his brother. King Attalus had a brother, a physical brother, and he loved him and defended him throughout his reign. It was his best friend, and his devotion to his brother was so well known. It was also his devotion to his people that was well known. So when the city was founded, they didn't give it the name of Adalus. They gave it his nickname, Philadelphus, the city of brotherly love, where we get Philadelphia from today. So he writes to this city founded by a man whose life was marked by love and devotion. How does Jesus identify himself? This is always important because how the Lord identifies himself to you, how you see the Lord says a lot about what God is doing in your life. He says this, the one who is holy... The one who is true and the one who has the key of David. Now, I know what you're asking. 
Okay, we know the Lord is holy, he's just. We know that he is true, we can trust him. But what does it mean, the one who has the key of David? The king's residence in the ancient Near East always had a set of keys which locked it up and secured it. The king kept those keys on his person unless there was one man in his list of servants, one man whom he trusted above all others. Remember, the king would sleep at night. And if somebody had the keys to the kingdom, where could they go? Into the king's bedroom when he is asleep and when he is helpless. For the king to give up his keys to another person meant he trusted his life to that other person. Is there anybody in your life that you trust with everything you have? You trust them with everything, all your secrets, all your passwords, all your bank accounts, all your everything. And every man should be going... Why, yes, my wife. Ladies, all of you trust your husband that way, don't you? Just shake your head and don't say anything. It makes him feel better. We should be able to trust that person that we're married to like this with absolute confidence. The steward of the kingdom had the keys. He could bar people from entering the king's presence, and he could permit them to come into the king's presence. In the same way, it is Jesus Christ who is the key. Jesus is the key that admits us into the kingdom of heaven. Through our faith in him, our absolute devotion to him, it is through him that we have interest to the king. Remember Queen Esther? She was not allowed to go into the king's presence unless he called for her. But what did she do? On a step of faith, she entered Xerxes' presence without being asked. She didn't have the key to the king's presence. When she stepped in, all the guards got ready to do one thing. They got ready to kill her. You know why? He didn't ask for her. The only thing that saved Esther from being killed by Xerxes' men was he stood, he extended a golden scepter, and that scepter was the key to her freedom. In essence, church, this is who you are. You enter the presence of a holy God who is just, who is true, who cannot tolerate sin in his presence, and he has extended to you the scepter of his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace but until you lay hold of that thing until you put your hand upon it as esther did that day taking the end of the scepter it has no avail to you it doesn't do you any good you can know about it but if you don't lay hold of it it's no good that's how jesus identifies himself as the one who opens and no one will close he closes and no one will open so that shows that jesus is absolute power absolute authority now look at this. He says this, I know your works because you have limited power. Now we all know, right, that we're not um, omnipotent, right? Everybody here, including the women, you know that you can't do all things, right? Just shake your head and tell me you're humble. Yes, I know. I know there's something I can't do. Yeah, maybe I don't know how to pull the pistons out of an engine. Okay, so you're not omnipotent. You don't know everything. For those of you who are mechanics, I do need an engine job, so help. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, he says, because you have limited strength, God knows that we have a limit to our strength. We have a limit to our patience. We have a limit to our endurance. But is God limited? No, God is not limited. God can do anything he purposes to do, and he can do anything through you that he purposes and you allow. Now consider that. He says, I know you. You have limited power. You can only take so much pain so much suffering, so much grief. 
But God is limitless. He says that because you have limited power, but you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. I know what you're asking, Richard. I can see it in your eyes. What kind of door is it that God gives us? Now, some churches teach it's the door to anything you want to ask for. Oh, Lord, I need a Mercedes. Boom, there it is. Sorry, that don't work. Oh, Lord, I need a $10,000 credit card. Nope, don't work that way. Lord, I need to be 10 years younger and 50 pounds lighter. No, it doesn't work. Okay? It's not an open door to get anything you want. Some churches teach that. They teach if you give the Lord $100, he'll give you thousands. That doesn't work. (laughs) The money was his to begin with. Why does he have to give it back to you? I don't get that. If you want to understand this door that's open, look at Colossians 4.2. Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Notice that, church. Pray. Stay alert with thanksgiving. Before you get the thing, Thank the Lord that he considered your request and that if it is appropriate, he will give it to you. Now notice, thanking him doesn't mean you're going to get it. Thanking him is he listened to you, he considered your request, and he will do for you what is best. Remember, getting out of a jam is not always the best thing for you. My wife and I have been talking this week and Dr. Stanley was talking about it today. He says it's not good to rescue somebody when they dig themselves into a deep pit. Because sometimes when you dig yourself into a deep pit, that is the only time you look for Jesus. If you've got enough money to pay the bills, and your car's working, and your house is pretty, if you've got everything you need, how much time do you spend pressing in on the Lord? Not much. But when you're tired, and you're overworked, and you're unappreciated, just nod your head, I can feel it, brother. Unappreciated, that's when we're forced to our knees into God's presence. So Dr. Stanley said this morning, he says, if God gets somebody on their knees to teach them to pray, don't try and pick them up till God's done with them. Sometimes we try to rescue people from suffering, and suffering sometimes is what drives us into the hands of the Lord. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us, or open a door to us, for the message. Aha. Here's the door that Paul's asking about. Open the door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Now Paul was in jail. He would be called out. Why do the Jews hate you? Why are the chief priests after you? Paul, what have you done? All he asked for was a chance to share the gospel with those who imprisoned him. Now, did Paul ask to be set, out, set free from, from prison? No. Paul never says, get me out of jail. When Peter was in the slammer, did Peter pray to get out of jail? No. Everybody else prayed that God would get Peter out of jail. And the angel came in the middle of the night, shook the prison, and got him out. Fantastic. What was Paul's concern? Lord, I am in prison. I am suffering. I don't want to be here. But as long as I'm here, pray that I have an opportunity to share Christ with those who don't know him. That I can speak the message of the gospel. You see, sometimes, church, God has you where he has you because that's where he needs the gospel spoken. You may not have the best job. You may not have the best house. You may not live in a very convenient place. 
you may work with a bunch of pagans, constantly sacrificing cats and stuff. I don't know. By the way, if you work with pagans, sacrificing cats, just come talk to me. Been there and done that. Anyways, wherever you are, your prayer shouldn't be, God prosper me, give me more money, give me a better job and a nicer car. Your prayer should be, God, use me where I am to preach the gospel of your glory so that they can come to you. Not the kind of message you want to hear, is it? Not the door of opportunity you're thinking. But that's the biblical door of opportunity. It's not about you, honey. It's about Jesus. It's not about what you want for your life. It's the glory he deserves that comes through your life. The people of Philadelphia knew they were suffering. They had limited power and endurance. But God allowed them to endure that the message might go forward. So it says right here in Revelation, he has set before them a door that cannot be closed. I'm going to jump to the end. I want to show you something right here. This is interesting. I was looking at this. Christianity in the city of Philadelphia endured. Long after the Muslims besieged the city, long after the entire region came under the control of what is today modern-day Turkey, long after the Christians were outnumbered, the city of Philadelphia endured as a predominantly Christian region until 1392. That's 1,290 years. Pretty cool, huh? His prayer for them in Revelation in about 95 AD, so 1,300 years. He prayed that they would continue, that they would endure, that the door would remain open, and it did. Even when the whole world became Muslim, Philadelphia was a city that preached Jesus. And that didn't end until they simply overwhelmed the Christian population. Now, the Christians remained in Turkey. They remained in Philadelphia. They remained there as a light in the darkness. But simply, the sheer numbers overwhelmed them, so they no longer were seen as a Christian majority. Sound like any place you live? A place where it starts off that everyone knows who Jesus is, and everyone understands the importance of the Bible, and everybody understands what prayer is, and everybody understands to be content in all circumstances, and now suddenly we live in a culture, we live in a community, we live in a country where we are outnumbered by the pagans. And some of the pagans look like us, sound like us, but they're not us. They're not believers in Jesus. Is that a reason why we should quit, roll up in a little ball and die? No. It's when we pray even more for that open door to preach the gospel. Right now it's... it's, it's totally within the law to preach the gospel in America. May not always be that way, but until they throw me in jail, I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. Amen? All right, let's go back and look at this again. I love it. He says, the door is open, church in Philadelphia. I know you're not the strongest, but you endure. You don't give in. You don't quit. You keep standing up for my name. Now, if we were going to look at the role of the people of Philadelphia, the church role, would your name be on it, church? Would your name be listed in the church of Philadelphia that doesn't compromise, doesn't quit? They're not the strongest. They're not the strongest. They're not perfect. But they endure, and they stick it out, and they keep lifting up Jesus. Is that where your name is, church? Remember we said these churches represent not just types of churches, but types of believers. 
Are you the kind of believer that you actually grow stronger under persecution? Well, you should because Revelation 3, 9 through 11 says this. Our enemies are defeated. Yes, the door is open, but our enemies are defeated. See, we pray with thanksgiving for an opportunity to lift up Jesus Christ. That's what it says in Colossians. Look back here in Revelation 3, 9 through 11. Our enemies are defeated. He says, take note. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. Note this. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. See, that's amazing right there. Stop right there. That's amazing. Now, we know what the synagogue of Satan is. We've seen this in other books, right? Synagogue of Satan is John's way of referring to those Jews who persecuted the early Christians. They made their lives miserable. They made them outcasts. They caused them to lose their jobs, lose their families, lose their homes. They said that they were Jews, but what does the New Testament say? A Jew is not one who is Jewish on the outside. He's Jewish on the what? Inside. Church, we covered this. You see, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It's what you are on the inside. It's who you are on the inside, where your love is, where your commitment is, where your passion is, where your desire is. That's what makes the true believer in Yahweh God, the true believer in Jesus Christ. I think that's amazing. He says, I will make them come and bow at your feet. Now, you might think, this is a pretty weird thing to say. No, it's not. He's actually talking about Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, starting in verse 14, it says this. This is what the Lord says. The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabians, men of stature will come over to you and will be yours. They will follow you. They will come over in chains and bow down to you. They will confess to you. God is indeed with you. There is no other, there is no other God. Do you see now, them coming and bowing down at your feet has nothing to do with you going, ha ha, I told you there was a God. It's not about us getting revenge on everybody that picked on us or persecuted us for being Christians. What's the purpose of them bowing down? It's right there at the end of Isaiah. It says this, they will confess to you, God is indeed with you, and there is no other, there is no other God. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar was all hot to believe in the God of Daniel until one day he steps out on his porch. He says, behold, world, the kingdom I, Nebuchadnezzar, have created. Look what a great job I have done. Remember what God did to him? It struck his mind with a disease. It says he fell on all four legs, and he went around like a cow eating grass. It says he stripped the clothes off his body, and his body was covered with the dew of the morning. Nobody could keep him in the room. Nobody could keep him in the palace. He wandered like an animal. My professor of seminary said, see, proof positive, the first werewolf. <laughs> he was kidding. Anyways, and what happened? Nebuchadnezzar lived like an animal until God graciously heard his repentance from within. It says he looked up toward heaven and God restored his mind. God taught the greatest king of the world that you are nothing in front of me. And that day, Nebuchadnezzar knew who was God. Does it mean Nebuchadnezzar got saved? No, doesn't mean that. 
Is Nebuchadnezzar going to be in heaven? Got no idea. I will leave that up to God. He's got the keys, not me. It's all good. But consider that. In the New Testament, it says in the last days that if you're a Jew, ten Gentiles will run and cling on to you. And they will say, you are Jewish. You know the God of heaven. Take me to Zion. Take me to the mountain of God. Show me who God is. So great will be the desire of the lost nations. They will come and beg the Jewish people to take them to Mount Zion to show them who God is. Now, church, if you are living for Jesus Christ today in this modern age, people will come to you and beg you for help. Something's happening in my life, Brother Doty. I don't know how to stop it. Help me, please, because you know Jesus. Brother Rick, I need your help because my marriage is falling apart. My children are drug addicts. You're a believer in Jesus. Show me what to do. That's what happens in the real world when you are a believer and everybody knows you are a believer. Because if you don't have Christ in your life, I'm sorry, you have issues. You have problems. And sooner or later, you have to go to the one person who can solve those problems. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for us to take the glory for it. It's not for us to take credit for it. It's for us to say, you know what? God is huge, and God is big. And if I can be a signpost pointing people to Jesus, that's all I need to do, Sister Sharon. Point them to Jesus. It's good. That's what he's talking about here. They will come. They will bow at your feet, begging to know who God is. If you live for Jesus out loud, sister, whether it's North Carolina or in Hawaii, people will see there's a difference in your life, and they will want to know what you have, what makes you different, what makes you special. Amen? Have you ever encountered that in your life? Have you ever had someone come to you and say, there's something different about you, sister. What is it that makes you special? And you say, Jesus. That's what makes me special. Now, I, I guarantee this. If you say this, well, I've been through hard times, and I've suffered a lot, and I've learned a lot of good lessons, they're going to go, uh-huh. Uh, okay, let's go have coffee. And that never comes up again. Because they can look at you as a person and go, they're no different than me. The difference between me and another person is not my education. It's not my experience. It's what lives inside me, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what separates you from anybody else is you have Christ in you. See, our enemies are already defeated. They're already broken. They're already beaten. Look at this. Go back to Revelation 3, 10. Because you have kept my command to endure, you put up with all this pain and suffering, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. Okay, this is where you start going, bum, bum, bum. This is where you get scared. This is that revelation moment. The hour of testing. Okay. It says, that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that nobody takes your crown. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got a crown. I don't mean that little plastic tear that you ladies put on in the morning and you go and look at yourself and go, pretty today, I'm pretty. Don't do that. Okay, well, you can do it, but just don't wear it outside. That's not the kind of crown I'm talking about, church. This is the word Stephanos. There are two types, two types of crowns in the Bible. You know that, right? There's a Stephanos and a diadem. For those of you who know old hymns, you know what a diadem is. The diadem 
is the crown of the king, and only the king wears the diadem. The Stephanos is the crown of the athlete who wins the Olympics. It's woven laurel leaves. It's just a temporary crown that shows a great achievement. They would put it on your head. Three days later, it would be dead and fall apart. It was temporary. It celebrated the moment when a victorious general would come in. They would hold the Stephanos over his head for that moment because he was the victor. Your crown is Jesus Christ. It is a symbol of your victory over this life. He is your crown. Now look what he says. He says, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. Now there's two different camps on what this means. It's spoken to the people of Philadelphia, end of the first century in their day. What did it mean to keep them from the hour of testing? Well, the Greek means this. I can help you endure the time of suffering. I could help you go through the time of suffering. When there was a huge persecution in England, uh, people who believed in the Bible, they were going around seizing Bibles, and they were burning the Bibles, and if you had one, they burned you with it. There was a man seized, and they said, you're going to burn at the stake if you don't renounce this Bible that you believe in. He said, if my God is true, I won't even feel the flames in the fire. When they came to get him, he was writing a goodbye letter to his friends. And it was kind of cool. He put a pen down. This is what John, this is what John Fox records. He put his pen down. He looked at his friends. He stuck his finger over the candle and left it there till it burned down to the bone. He said, see, nothing. He went outside and burned to death that day. He wouldn't turn his back on Jesus for anything. There was a young girl in Flanders, which is, you know, northern Europe. She had a Bible, and it was illegal. She was the maid of the mayor of the city. And the police came, and they found her Bible. How many of you got a Bible by your bedside? Nobody's got a Bible by their bedside. Okay, well, that's good, because then when they come try to arrest you for being Christians, they'll have no evidence. <laughs> Anyways, so imagine being a young girl, and you have your Bible. And they come, they break in, they find it. The police shout out to the mayor and his family, whose Bible is this? And he says, I don't know, I've never seen that before. The maid, little tiny girl, steps up, it's mine. The mayor's not dumb, he knows what's going to happen to the girl. She's dead. He says, no, no, she simply has it, it's from her family, she can't read it, she's never read it. She says, yes I have, I've read it and I believe it. And the mayor's going, that's it, she's dead. They take her outside to the wall of the city. They took some of the bricks out of the wall. Now imagine this. Young girl. I think the records say she's like 16, 17. They take her to the wall of the city. They push her into the wall. And brick by brick, they begin to re-brick the wall with her inside. And every time they get to her knee, they got to her knees, will you give up this idea of Jesus? Will you give up this Bible? Will you never go to it again? She said, nope. They bricked her up to her thighs. Will you now give up this, Jesus? Will you now quit? Waist, breast, neck. They bricked everything around her face except one hole right over her mouth. The last brick was over her mouth. And they said, this is your last chance. Either you give up Jesus or you will die. And she said, bye. Slid the brick in. It was like 200 years before they found her body. And they took the bricks back down. They pulled her body out. 
and they gave her a Christian burial. That's how much she believed in the power of Jesus Christ. She endured suffocation rather than quit believing in the God who had brought her peace. Her name was Runkin. Another terrible name you should never give a child. But her record exists in John Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's there to remind us that if we truly, truly believe in Christ, there is no price we won't pay. There is no testing that we cannot endure. Now, you know, for us today, it means something a little different. The second meaning of that sentence is not just to enable us to go through the midst of the suffering. It means to be rescued from the suffering before it begins. Those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back before the great tribulation, before the Antichrist is set free, before hell falls on the earth, we believe the second meaning, which is in, her, in their day, in the day of Philadelphia, they were able to endure the suffering. In our case, he will remove us from the earth before the suffering begins. Because the suffering will not come from men as it did in her day. The suffering will come from God pouring out his wrath on the earth. And church, we are not appointed to wrath. Amen? We are appointed to tribulation, which is the suffering caused by men, but never to God's wrath because we've been rescued from that by Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what our hope is. I'm not worried about the cops coming to get me and throwing me in the can for being a preacher. Great, I'll preach in prison. They'll be scared of me in there. You know, they got all their tattoos and their gangs and I got Jesus, so I outnumber them. I'm good. Anyways, so when this suffering comes on the earth, in their days, they had the ability to endure it. Runkin had the ability to be suffocated. Others had the ability to be burned at the stake rather than forsake Jesus. God willing, we are out of here before all that starts again. Amen? We're out of here. So our enemies are defeated. They can't stop us. They cannot silence us. They can't make us stop because our God is real. Finally, let's finish this up. Revelation 3, 12 through 13. The future is secure for us. Yet the door is open. It cannot be shut. So long as we are here, Jesus will be preached on the earth. And in a second, our enemies are defeated. They can't stop the preaching of the cross. The communists in China tried it. The communists in Russia tried it. All they did was grow the church bigger. Finally, Revelation 3, 12 through 13. The victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Amazing. Amazing way to finish this up. Because it's what it says. To the one who endures, to the one who is victorious, who doesn't give up, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God. I had a friend of mine, her favorite saying was this. I just want to be a doorman in the house of the Lord. Well, you know what? There's something better than being a doorman in the house of the Lord. It's being a pillar. See, in the ancient Near East, within a temple, when a servant was particularly faithful, that servant would have a pillar within the church or the temple carved in their likeness. And their likeness would remain in the temple forever. Now, remember I told you last week that Philadelphia was wiped out by an earthquake? Remember that? Just say yes. Make me feel better. Okay. I told you that Philadelphia got wiped out by an earthquake. The only things that didn't fall in Philadelphia were, anybody want to guess? You should know me by now. 
What did not fall in the earthquakes in Philadelphia? The pillars in the temples. Because the pillars are the strongest element of the temple. The pillars are what hold everything up. So when everything came down, the pillars remained. Church, you are a pillar in the house of God. You are what stands up in the midst of the earthquakes of life. Even the earthquakes can't bring you down because you were meant to last for eternity. People come, people go. False worshipers come, false worshipers go. The pillars in the temple remain for eternity, especially in the house of our God. Amen? That means your future is set. It is secure. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not surgery, not disease, not fever, not trips to the ER. By the way, thank you, everybody, for praying for Jackson this week. I know we, we sent out a couple of requests there. Thank you for praying. I mean, when, when, when you're a mom or a dad and, and your baby is sick, the whole world ceases to have meaning until that child is better. Amen? If you know what I mean. So I know that they appreciate the prayers, and I'm just so proud of my people for being people of prayer. So thank you. He goes on to say this. So they will be a memorial pillar in the house of my God. He says, I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city, the new Jerusalem. He's going to cover that later in Revelation. And it says, and the name, um, the new name that Jesus will bring with him, the name that no man knows. Consider this, and I am done. If you go back to the book of Exodus, don't try and look it up, it's okay. In describing the things that the priest wore, you know, they had the chest plate, and it had the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, right? You knew that. Just shake your head make me feel better. Do this, church. Yes, we knew that. Okay, 12 stones, 12 tribes of Israel. And they had the, the golden sash. And you know that the Jewish priests didn't wear hats. They wore turbans, right? You knew that. Just go yes. They wore turbans. On the front of the turban of the priest was a golden plaque. Inscribed in the plaque of the priest was this. Holy unto Yahweh. The word holy means what? Separated, dedicated, given over to. So the priest wore physically on his head a sign which said dedicated to the service of Yahweh God. You have written on your life, church, sealed on your being a symbol that says dedicated unto the Lord. That's why Satan can't touch you. When you are a born-again believer, Satan has no business with you because you are sealed by another spirit. That should be a great comfort to you, church. You should love that. All those exorcist movies, all those demon movies, all those booger man movies have no foundation in reality. Possessed houses. Been there and done that. Demon-possessed people. Been there and done that twice. Don't want to do it again. I've never been anywhere where Satan had anything that he could do to me. Not because I'm tough, not because I'm bad or scary, but because my God is bigger than him. You see, that's the whole thing. My God's huge. It'd be like going to a gang fight with an army of gun-toting soldiers behind me. It just, no, it's not even equal. Satan has no ability, no power, because I bear the name of Christ on my being, in my person. You can't see it, but I guarantee you the devil can. That's security, church. He has written his name on us. I am a memorial pillar in his temple. I have a place in eternity set aside for me. Jesus says, if I go, I'm going to come back. But I'm going to go fix up a nice condo for you with, you know, satellite TV 
and your own Keurig coffee maker and everything you need. And when I come back and get you, you will have a place that belongs to you forever. You never have to leave. You never have to move. It's yours. That's what heaven is for us, church. It's our permanent home. So I ask you, how do you feel now? Maybe this morning you, you felt kind of down. You felt tired. Maybe you felt defeated. Maybe you felt worn out or worried. So how do you feel now? One, do you see the open door before you? Do you know that whether you are in the Philippines on mission or you are on mission here, you are on mission to make Jesus known? Do you, do you know that, church? Just say amen. Amen, because it means you know it. One, do you, number two, do you know those who oppose Christ are defeated before you? Do you know that the devil is beat down before you? Just say amen. That's who you are. You are a victorious overcomer. Not because you tithe, not because you have me for a pastor, but because you have Jesus for a Savior. Third, are you confident of what the future holds for the believer in Christ? Are you confident of your future in Jesus Christ? Amen. I encourage you, church, if you cannot say right now with honesty, I am not confident about the future because I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I have given my life to Christ. You don't leave this place today without talking to me. I'm telling you right now, there's no tables, so lunch is going to be this thing, a cocktail party, running around, eating, standing up. You find me, church, before you leave here today. You don't walk out that door not knowing what your future is. Here's the thing. If you don't know what your future is, I guarantee there is a devil who will try and take that future away from you. And he will do that by causing you to doubt, causing you to fear, or causing you to wander. You be certain today who you are so the devil has no authority over you. Finally, what will you do with what you've learned today? You've learned a lot today. You have an open door, the devil is defeated, and your future is secure. What are you going to do with that knowledge? Who are you going to talk to on Monday morning? What kind of letter are you going to write to that friend? Or phone call are you going to make to that person? What are you going to do because of what you know? Church is only good for this. We worship the Lord we learn, we act on what we learn. If you don't put it into effect, church, it's no good to you. I can tell you, you got $100 million in the bank. It's in your name. All you have to do is go sign your name and get it. But guess what? If you don't go sign your name, do you get the money? No, because you didn't sign for it. It's not yours until you give yourself to Christ. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for this time. Father, I thank you that you have done so much for us. Lord, like the Church of Philadelphia, you know that we're limited. You know that we are weak. You know that we are sometimes set on by so many worries and so many concerns. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that there is someone here right now, Lord, who realizes for the first time that they need to be saved, that they need to come and, and, and accept you as Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray that it happens today, that today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable hour. Father, we don't know what earthquakes will happen in our lives. We don't know what car accidents will happen or what, what events will happen this week. But God, we know that right now in this place, we can be certain that our lives are wrapped up in your, your love, that your seal is on us, that we are a pillar in your temple, and that our future is safe if we have called upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, bless us this day. Now, Lord, as we sing, as we praise and lift up your name, I pray that if anybody here, Lord, needs to come and get right, that, Father, they will take this moment, take this time to just come forward 
and, and, and speak to me and that we can pray together, Father, and make the future secure. Father, all this we lift up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand up and sing. If you need to come get me, come get me. If not, catch me during lunch, all right? Let's stand up and sing.